Hello, this is Erwin Raphael McManus. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this talk inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. So today we continue our conversation, why this matters. And I'm specifically choosing different topics that sometimes we assume they matter, but we don't really question why they matter. We began by talking about the church and why does it matter that we come together? Why does it matter that we become a unique community that moves together through life? Why does the church matter? And, and we saw that the church wasn't supplemental. It is essential for human experience and for spiritual growth and vitality. We also looked together at why giving matters. And one of the early conversations that all of us really have in our faith journey is about our money. And that always becomes so tense and it, and it becomes an area of, of real concern and skepticism. Why does the church talk about money? But the reality is that the church doesn't just talk about money. All human beings talk about money. In fact, money affects everything in the world. And if we didn't talk about money, we would probably be avoiding one of the most important topics in human experience. Because what matters to you shapes who you are and your posture toward consuming and creating is shaped around the generosity of the human spirit. So giving generosity is not supplemental. It is essential and it matters. And what I want to talk to you about today is prayer. I mean, why does prayer matter? Does it really matter whether you pray about something or whether you live a life of prayer? Does prayer actually do anything or, or make a difference in any way. I mean, I mean, I think all of us have probably had the experience where we've prayed for something with such desperation and nothing happened, or at least nothing that we wanted to happen happened. And, and, and if you have grown up with any kind of religious background, prayer was probably in some ways uh, drummed into your mind, into your heart, into your soul, into your lifestyle. I'm from El Salvador, born in San Salvador, and you cannot be from a more religious context than a country named after the savior of the world. You cannot be in a more religious context than, than being born in the capital that's named after the savior of the world. Just the name, San Salvador, El Salvador, lets you know that I was raised within the context of, of religion. And I was raised as a Roman Catholic, and, and even though we didn't go to mass all the time, that the belief system definitely seeped into my view of reality, my human experience, my, my understanding of God, of faith, of spirituality. And one of the things that really began to uh, grip me was prayer. And I don't mean necessarily in a positive way, because from my earliest memory, I've always struggled with OCD. And, and I know everybody likes joking about being ADHD or ADD and being OCD. And, and it becomes almost like a, a cultural uh, point of humor. But, but there's nothing funny about actually struggling with OCD. And I struggled with OCD long before it was really defined as OCD. And I, so I had all these repetitive patterns that I struggled with all the time and, and things I did over and over and over and over again. And I was controlled by that obsessive compulsive uh, disorder in my own life. And, and, and even though Kim and I have been married, what, almost 38 years now, and, and when she sees it flare up, she'll always try to tell me to stop. She'll say, stop doing that. Stop, stop, stop doing that with your hands. And, and she thinks just saying stop will solve the whole problem. But, but if, it were, if it were that easy, I wouldn't start. And I can tell you that one of the things that I've always struggled with is, is that dynamic of, of those repetitive patterns that somehow give me some control over my mind that I know are irrational, they're illogical, maybe even superstitious. And so whether it was um, counting all the squares in a room or following all the lines. And, and sometimes I find myself even drifting off into this compulsion. And I don't even realize I've, I've detached myself from what's going on around me because I've, I, I suddenly started counting every single chair or, or every single crack and every single space. And, and, and I don't want to think about this too much because it will start to drive me insane. But, but one of the things that actually integrated into my obsessive compulsive nature was prayer. 
I, I was taught to memorize certain prayers. I wasn't very good at it, but I remember there were at least the big three. There was the Lord's Prayer, there was the, the Acts of Contrition, and there was the Hail Mary. And those are the three prayers that I distinctly remember trying to memorize so that I could go through my first confirmation and communion. And, and they taught us to pray those prayers over and over and over again. And in fact, when I went through my first confession and I went to the confessional booth and I had to say, uh, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. This is my first confession. And, and then the priest talks to me and tells me to begin to confess my sins. And, and then I realized, well, you know, this priest probably recognizes my voice and he probably knows me and knows my, my parents. And if I, if I say anything that might indict me and incriminate me, that he's going to go tell my mom and dad. So I realized, well, I, I thought in my own mind, this is a, a, a parental scam. This is a way that, that the system gets you to confess what you've done wrong. So I wasn't going to tell him anything. And he got really upset with me. And of course, I, I tried to... Um, uh, plead innocence. I, I said, I just don't have any sins I can think of. And he says, you don't have any sins you need to confess. And I said, no, I, I, I none. And, and he goes, so you're saying you don't have any sins at all. And, and, I, and I knew that sounded a little bit um, outrageous or preposterous. So I said, well, you know, I, I can think of one sin, but I'm not going to tell you. And, and the priest got upset with me. And so he gave me something like, you know, 50 acts of contrition and 100 Hail Marys and, and 30 or 40 uh, Lord's prayers. And I left the confessional with my now duty to go and pray. And so I went into the, the cathedral and, and I went to the very front where there were the statues of, of Mary and Jesus and, and different saints. And, and I remember kneeling down and thinking to myself, I don't remember the acts of contrition. And, and then thinking to myself, all I remember is Hail Mary full of grace. And the next line just doesn't seem to pop up in my mind. And, and the only prayer I actually remembered was the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, as I, as I knew it. And, and so I, I, I said to God, okay, God, I don't really want to stay here and do this a hundred times or however many times it was um, assigned to me. And I said, so I'm going to pray it three times, once for you, Father, and once for you, the Son, and once for you, the Holy Ghost. And I hope one prayer for each of you will be more than enough. And, and so I prayed that same prayer over and over again. But, but it set in me this, this repetitive pattern of prayer where I kept praying the same prayer or saying the same thing over and over and over again. And somehow I thought the, the act of a prayer was what God wanted of me. And, and, and in fact, so many of us, and as I've traveled the world, I, I see this across religions where, where Muslims pray five times a day and they pray the same prayers and, and Hindus pray uh, um, all the time and they pray the same prayers. And, 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 and even Buddhists in their meditations, they, 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 they have mantras and, and they, they, they chant and they, they repeat the same phrases and over and over again. There seems to be something inside of religion that drives us toward repetition that drives us to believing that if we can say the same thing over and over and over again, it will somehow connect us to the transcendent. It'll connect us to God and it will satisfy his need for our repentance, for our humiliation. And that somehow prayer is almost an act of contrition rather than a connection of intimacy. And anyone who knows me knows that I'm both, both, profoundly spiritual and also painfully pragmatic. I do not like doing anything that doesn't make sense. And, and so when I'm asked to pray, prayer has to make sense to me. It, it, it can't just be something I have to do because I'm told to do it, because it's a part of the routine. It's a, it's a part of the ritual of, of our faith. And I think what's happened to so many of us is that prayer became a spiritualized version of OCD. It never had the power to actually effect change. And so we did it out of obligation. We pray before our meals because, well, it's a habit, but we don't pray after our meals and we don't pray in between meals. And we don't pray because we don't really see that prayer actually matters. Because after all, if prayer makes no difference in the world, 
then why do something that doesn't matter? And, and even our understanding of, of how life plays out, how history unrolls and, and, and how the future is ushered in. I mean, is, is the future predestined? Is, is, is it determined? Is God completely in charge of the future in such a way where no matter what we do or what we say or what we pray has any effect? I mean, why bother praying if you cannot affect the outcome of life? So I think for so many of us, Prayer doesn't matter. And in a very practical way, we may pray out of obligation. We may even pray out of respect. But we do not pray because prayer is essential. And I wonder even over the last two years, as you face some of the greatest challenges perhaps in your life, as we, as a human species, have faced one of the greatest crises of modern times, I wonder what we've prayed, how we've prayed, and whether our prayers have actually had any effect at all. I mean, after all, how many times did we pray for COVID to be gone? How many times did we pray for this pandemic to come to a close? How many times did we pray for the quarantine to be unnecessary? How many times have we prayed for our businesses? How many People prayed that the restaurants would, would not go out of business. How many people prayed that, that they would not lose their company? How many people prayed that, that they wouldn't lose their homes? How many people prayed prayers that from, from all practical perspective remained unanswered? And, and the truth is this. See, if you think that it is prayer that distinguishes you as a follower of Jesus, if you think, oh, well, one of the things that makes us different as Christians is we pray. It, it doesn't. You see, people pray, regardless of their beliefs, regardless of their religion, people pray. And in fact, I would go as far as to say even atheists pray when they're desperate. You know, the old phrase that there are no atheists in foxholes will sometimes the office can feel like a foxhole and your marriage can feel like a foxhole. Your career can feel like a foxhole. Sometimes the loneliness and desperation in your soul is a foxhole and sometimes the broken relationships in your life are a foxhole. And if there are no atheists in foxholes, I have a, a sense that so many of us that would be intellectually atheists are actually practical, desperate believers who hope against hope that if you throw out a prayer, maybe there's a God out there who might hear you and, and actually care about what's going on in your life. So the question then becomes, well, if people from all religions pray and if people even without religion pray, what makes us different? Why does prayer matter? Does this really matter? in the way we live out our lives. Isn't it enough just to be a good person or just to try to be a person of virtue? Isn't that enough to try to live your life in a way that honors the character of Jesus? And isn't it enough to try to be a person of integrity and, and a person of compassion and kindness? And, and all of that really matters. And all of that is a beautiful reflection of who God wants you and, and me to become. But, it is inescapable that in the scriptures there is a, an invitation to pray that goes beyond ritual, that even goes beyond the dynamic of everyday life, but into the transcendent, into the extraordinary, to the life-changing, the history-changing. In James chapter 5, James, a half-brother of Jesus, writes these words in verses 17 and 18. He's writing a, a short synopsis of the life of Elijah, who is a historical figure in the nation of Israel. He says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. By the way, isn't that an odd way to start? Elijah was a person just like us. Because I don't know about you, but if he hadn't said that, I would already assume that, right? Because when you're talking about a human, you don't usually say, by the way, um, 
speaking of LeBron James, LeBron James was a human being, just as we are. Or Steph Curry was a human being, just as us. Or Albert Einstein was a human being, just like us. And, and, and I guess you, you, you actually lay that as a foundation. Stephen Hawking was a human being, just like us. Richard Branson was a human being, just like us. Whenever, whenever you start the sentence like that, you know they're about to do something that's not just like us. So when he starts by saying Elijah was a human being, even as we are, you know what's going to follow this is something that is not normative to the human experience. And what he doesn't want you to do is he doesn't want you to hear what happened and then discount Elijah as something other than us. And so he wants to make sure that as he unwraps what happened in Elijah's life, that we don't put him in this exclusive category. Oh, yeah, but Elijah is different than us. He goes, well, you know, Elon Musk, he's different than us. And Steve Jobs, well, he was you know, different than us. And Beyonce, she's just different than us. And, 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 and so whoever has achieved something extraordinary that you admire, you just go, well, yeah, but they're just different than us. And, and the reality is that maybe their talent really is different than us or, or their capacity is different than us or their intellect is different than, than us. And, and there may be things about them that are different than us. But here, James wants you to know, what he's about to tell you about Elijah, it's not like that. It's not because Elijah is more intelligent than you or more talented than you or more gifted than you. It's not that, that Elijah somehow falls in this category of genius or, or savant or, um, or whatever other category you want to put it in that allows you to not measure your life and your experience by his life and experience. See, when James says Elijah was a human being, even as we are, he's saying that so that we have to measure our life against his life. He's saying that so that we have to measure our experience with his experience. See, he doesn't want us to look at his life and say, yeah, but that's him. That's not me. I'm not like him. What he wants you to know is, no, you are like him, but you may not be living like him. Elijah was a human being, even as we are, he prayed, wow, he prayed. Those two words can be so easily discounted, overlooked, underestimated. Because how many people's lives cannot be described with she prayed or he prayed. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. This is the summary of the life of Elijah. He prayed, and he gives us this parenthetical picture of his life, saying he prayed that it would not rain, and it did not rain for three and a half years. And then he prayed again. Now, I imagine there were other prayers over those three and a half years, other things he prayed about, other things that may have happened. But, but for this story, for this moment, he lets us know this is the, the parentheses of his life. He prayed that it would not rain and it did not rain for three and a half years. And then he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops, saying Elijah was a person just like us. And he prayed but when he prayed, everything changed. See, the difference between a humanity that prays and a humanity that's connected to the creator of the universe is that when you pray, it moves heaven and earth. Elijah prayed and it did not rain. He prayed and the skies broke open and the storms came and the rain refreshed the earth. What kind of person has this kind of capacity to pray and actually see their prayers shape reality? See, I, I, I want to just throw out the possibility that we've been underestimating the power of prayer that we, we've thought of prayer as a catharsis. And, and I think there have been times I've been guilty of this myself. I, I remember years ago, one of the young guys in our community did a talk on prayer. And, 
And, and throughout the talk, he kept talking about the, uh, the neuroscience, because I'm fascinated with neuroscience, and I brought in a lot of the language and, and a lot of the studies of, uh, of neuroscience. And so I think I just sort of created that kind of platform and that kind of context. And, and he was really enthralled by it. And he spent the whole time talking about how prayer changes our neurological uh, construct, how our brains get better, how things actually improve within us when we pray. And, and when he finished the entire talk, we sat in the back and he asked me what I thought. And I said, here's the one problem. You described all the, the physiological or psychological benefits of prayer, but you never once described a moment where you prayed and God heard you and answered. And so prayer now became a a product or, or a methodology, a mechanism from which to, to find self-healing. But it was almost completely void of the reality of whether prayer actually works. I think it's because most of us, we've tried to work prayer, but it's not really worked for us. I think if we were honest with one another, most of us would feel frustrated. How, how inept our prayer life is in relationship to the outcomes of what we're asking. And I know all the cliches and I, I, I know what we say, sometimes God answers yes, sometimes God you know, answers, he never says no, he says not now or, or he says later. And I think, no, I think sometimes God does say no. He says, are you out of your mind? If I gave you that, you would regret that the rest of your life. You have to take in consideration that maybe what you're asking God for, he knows that you think you want that, but you really don't want that. I think sometimes the greatest punishment is for God to give us what we ask for. But I think there's something else going on here that, that prayer isn't supposed to be something that's actually disconnected from God. See, I, I think when we think of prayer, we think of God being so far away that, that we're almost isolated from God's presence. And, and so prayer is throwing out this harpoon that, hope, that we hope somehow will connect to the heart of God. And then we can pull God in and we can get him to answer our prayers. But the reality is that if there is a distance between you and God, prayer has no hope. See, even strangely enough, when you do not know God, God knows you. See, even when you choose to be far from God, God chooses to be near to you. And even if you're listening right now and you would say, I'm, I'm an atheist, I'm an agnostic, I do not believe in God, I don't want to have anything to do with God, I want you to know that you did not chase God away. You didn't chase him off. He's, he's not, he didn't just throw his hands up in the air and say, well, since you don't want to have anything to do with me, I don't want to have anything to do with you. I want you to know that God is pressing up against your soul right now. And he is as close as the air you're breathing, just waiting for you to open your life to him. See, pr prayer isn't having to throw something out into the universe, hoping that it'll somehow reach God. Prayer is a whisper. It's not a shout or a scream. When it comes to God, there is no need to yell. We were having a, a staff uh, celebration in the back of our house and uh, we were all about to eat food and Kim had uh, her radio on from a distance and I guess she had Alexa on and I, I, don't, I don't actually engage Alexa. Alexa makes me nervous. And, and, but Kim, she uses Alexa all the time. And, and so we're back there and I'm sitting down with people and I, and I, I hear the music and we're about to pray. And, and then I hear people trying to get Alexa to stop and Alexa's not listening. And, and so I just looked across the backyard and I just whispered to Alexa, Alexa, stop. And she stopped. And everyone just sort of looked at me in that moment. And I realized what was going on was everyone's shouting, but they're shouting in different directions. And Alexa has a very limited intellectual capacity. And so what she needed was someone who just, who just whispered in her direction. And a whisper in her direction was more powerful than shouts going in every direction. 
I think, unfortunately, so oftentimes, we think that prayer is, is working ourselves up so we can finally get God to care about us, finally get God on our side, finally to get God to, to see our, our pain or our fear or our frustration or our dreams and our hopes. And we, we miss the nuance that, that, that prayer isn't shouting into the universe. Prayer is whispering to the God who's intimate and knowing that he hears you because you hear him. And here's the connection. See, for, for God to hear you well, you need to be listening well. The power of prayer is born out of the listening, not the speaking. It's not about what you say to God. It is about what God is saying to you. Let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 18, where this story plays out. In verse 41, it says, it's in the middle of the moment. Elijah has already prayed and the heavens were shot and it did not rain for three and a half years. So now there's been three and a half years of drought, three and a half years of, of famine affected. Uh, that, that was the outcome of that drought. Three and a half years where Elijah spoke to the sky and it refused to shed tears. And Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told the servant. And he went and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant responded or reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain started falling and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. But I want you to hear again how the story begins here. And Elijah says to Ahab, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. Now, I want you to realize that when, when Ahab went off to eat and drink, and then Elijah climbed up to the top of Carmel, and he bent down the ground, and he put his face between his knees, and then he sent his servant to the sea, and the servant looked at the sky, and there wasn't a cloud in the sky. And when he came back the first time to Elijah, he said, there's nothing there. Not, not a cloud to be found. And it didn't discourage Elijah in any way. He just to go back. And he went back a second time and the sky was blue and it had been like that for three and a half years. So they knew exactly what it looked like. And, and he came back and said, there's nothing there. And he went back again. Then 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 he went back again and again. And he kept back coming back saying, there's nothing there, there's nothing there, there's nothing there. So how did Elijah know to keep sending him back? Why didn't he give up on his prayer? It's because you see, before there was ever anything to see, there was something to hear. See, before there was ever a drop of rain, before there was ever a dark cloud, in the sky, Elijah heard the sound of a heavy rain. Elijah heard the sound of a heavy rain. If you could bend your understanding of reality just for a moment, you could either conclude that Elijah somehow heard in his imagination the sound of a heavy rain. Or 
you could conclude that Elijah heard the future coming before it became the present. It was already raining in that future he was about to step into. And you could hear the sound of a heavy rain, which tells me that Elijah's conversation with God was not initiated by him, but by God. That it wasn't as much what Elijah was saying to God. It was so much more what God was saying to Elijah. Well, I know how you can have your prayers answered. When you listen carefully enough to God whisper and say, this is what I'm about to do. I want you to declare it so that everyone knows it's me. For the first 20 years of my life, prayer was a ritual. It was a routine. In fact, it was a desperate, a desperate effort to get God's attention. The, the one sin I wouldn't tell that priest, it wasn't really much of a sin, but you know, when you're nine, it feels like a lot. I was trying to run away from home and I got caught. And I got sent to my room and held captive in my mind. And, and I was so angry, so angry that I, that God didn't let me get away. That I just looked at the ceiling of my room and I yelled, Jesus, you're so stupid. That was me being really profane back then. And when I said that, I had this moment of fear thinking, maybe God's going to strike me dead. But nothing happened, which was consistent. It seemed as if God didn't do anything when I believed. He didn't do anything when I was desperate. He didn't do anything when I needed him. He didn't do anything when I was angry. He didn't do anything when I was defiant. Maybe the reason God didn't do anything is because God isn't anything. The great danger with praying is that if it's disconnected from God, your prayers will become your proof that God does not exist. It took a transformation, a transition, a shift in my life from thinking that prayer was a transactional conversation with God, me telling God what I needed, me telling God what I wanted, me telling God what I was desperate to see happen and hoping that God would somehow agree to help me to the moment where I realized that God was the one always speaking to me, but I wasn't listening. But I didn't get to choose the agenda. I didn't get to really pick the conversation that really prayer comes out of an intimacy with God where you listen before you speak. See, when I opened up my life to Jesus and that first visceral conscious prayer where I said, Jesus, I give you my life. Even that prayer for me was not the, the action that initiated everything. My prayer, Jesus, I give you my life, did not initiate the conversation with God. When I said, Jesus, I give you my life, that was not an action. It was a response. It was me finally acknowledging that God has always been speaking to me, that God was desperately trying to get my attention. It was me finally listening to God and saying, I hear you. And deciding that, that his agenda would be my agenda. See, I discovered the power of prayer. I discovered that, that prayer matters because prayer became for me a very different thing than I ever understood before. Prayer was not me trying to move God or motivate God or coerce God or manipulate God. Prayer was me opening up my life and myself and saying, God, what is it that you want to say? What is it that you want me to say? Who do you want me to become? What do you want me to do? God, I'm an open book. I just want you to write on my soul. The story of me as seen through you. And that prayer changed everything for me. And, and maybe it's because I'm such a, a skeptic that, that right away such 
unique things happened in my life that, that changed my whole understanding of prayer. It became this dynamic intimacy with the creator of the universe. And you know, when I, I, went, I went forward at a, at a more traditional church so that um, I could actually give my life to Jesus because that's the way they did that. And they took me to a back room and they talked to me about God. They talked to me about, about my need for forgiveness, how I needed to, to repent of my sins and give my life to Jesus. And I used language I'd never heard of. I'd never heard the word repentance before. I'd never really heard the word sin that much. I, I, I was unaware of the vocabulary of, of faith, but, but what I knew is I needed Jesus in my life. I needed God. And if Jesus really was God, and if he really died for me, and if he really wanted me, I wanted him. I wanted to be wanted by God. And, and the way I remember it, I'm not saying it's, it's the way it was. I'm just telling you how I experienced it. I, I, I prayed and I gave my life to Jesus. And then, and it took a long time because I was a little slow in the process. And, and they held up the whole, the whole gatherings. They held up the whole service for me to come out so they could welcome me and celebrate that I'd get my life to Jesus. And, and when I came out, I'm not sure if it was the lights or whether I had some kind of like physiological response to the shift from, from a dark space to a light space, but I just, I just felt blinded and I couldn't see anything. And all I could see was this bright light and I was unaware I, where I was and, and I couldn't see anything. And, and I heard my, my, they called my mom up and, and she said, honey, look at the pastor. But I, I, she didn't realize I couldn't see anything. And so she kind of turned me and I, and the first thing I saw was this guy holding this Bible he said, Erwin, will you follow Jesus and will you obey his word? And I didn't even know it was in that book. I had no idea. But if it came with Jesus, I was in. And it, it set a, a different posture in my life. It, it, I, I didn't even know when I prayed and asked Jesus to change my life, whether he would hear. I didn't know whether... It would change me. I, I didn't know because I'd never traveled this path before. But it changed everything because what I knew somehow was that I heard the voice of God. He spoke to me that my response to him opened up a dimension I didn't even know existed. And then went right back to college and and, and a whole series of things began to happen. And those of you who know a lot of my story are familiar with them. But I, I'm just going to leave you with a few moments that I cannot explain because there's some of you that are new to this community. Some of you are new to, uh, our, um, to my story. And I just want you to understand how I came to conclude that prayer matters. I was just told, look, this is now a relationship between you and God. And, and prayer isn't something that you go do. Prayer is like inhaling and exhaling. Prayer is like breathing. And the Bible says to pray without ceasing. So every moment of your life, you need to be praying. You need to either be talking to God or listening to God, but there needs to be this, this dynamic interplay between you and the creator of the universe. And so that's the way I began to understand it, is that prayer isn't something I went to do. Something Prayer was something that I inherently became, just like I breathe, just like I inhale and exhale. Prayer is to, supposed to be that integrated into my essence and my existence. And, and I, I remember I, I organized this outdoor concert. I'd only been a, a follower of Jesus for a couple of months, but I saw an outdoor concert right before I came to Jesus and it kind of pulled me in. So I thought that'd be a really cool thing to do on our campus. So I organized this event and and here I am, I, I know nothing about the Bible, nothing about Christianity, very little about Jesus. And I'm organizing this huge event, outdoor concert, so that people can know about Jesus. And, and, and then the, the, the guy in charge of student activities on the campus, the man came up to me and said, hey, there's a 100% chance of rain today. We're going to have to cancel your event. I thought, why, God, would you do that? I, I've put so much into it. I've risked so much. And you're, you're, you're in charge of rain. Why would you let it rain? I mean, after all, you don't have to do anything miraculous, but could you just at least cooperate and not make my life miserable? But I know any better. So I started going on campus and everywhere I went, wherever I saw someone that I discovered was a follower of Jesus, I would say, pray that the rain would, would stop. Pray that the rain would be held back. Pray that it would not rain. And the guy kept coming up to me and he said, Erwin, we're going to have to cancel the event. I said, no, it, it's, it's taken care of. I've prayed. It's not going to rain. 
See, I didn't know any better. I hadn't been taught by all the Christians who have given up on prayer that prayer doesn't work like that. And so I just kept telling them all day long, it's already taken care of. We prayed and it's not going to rain. And what's amazing is when it was time for that concert, the, the musicians and artists who were coming in didn't come in to perform. They came in to join us in our misery, to let me know that they're so sorry that the event was canceled because they came in from thunderous rain. But the moment they came on the campus, there was no rain there. And I can tell you that not one drop of rain touched that field on the campus. And I know this because I was told the moment there was one drop of rain, their million dollars worth of equipment would be taken away. So I know that not one drop of rain touched the ground where we stood that night. Because you see, I, I thought that Elijah was a man, a person just like me. See, if he could pray desperately, that it would not rain, why couldn't I pray? Now, I, I can't say that every time I've prayed, my prayers have been answered the way I wanted them to be answered, but I do know this. While God may not answer every prayer you ever pray, he will not answer any prayer you do not pray. Now, I still remember, in fact, for years, I, I, I wouldn't even talk about it and I never put it in the book. And, and decades later, it came, came to me and said, there is this story in your life that you told me that you've never written about. She goes, why won't you put it in the book? And I said, because I don't even know if I believe it. And even, even though I experienced it, it's just, I, I just don't understand how it happened. And, and, I, and honestly, I didn't want to be seen as insane. Because see, when you begin to pray, crazy things begin to happen. Well, I was... One particular day, I, I was a musician at that time, but I couldn't afford a guitar, so I borrowed this guitar from this girl. And she, she, she to me, seemed like a really like, mature follower of Jesus, and she was one of the people I admired. I was brand new in my faith, so everyone seemed mature to me. And, and one day, she came up to me, and she said, Hey, Erwin, you don't know much about my, my past, but I used to live with a guy, and I used to like, drink a lot, and we did a lot of drugs. And I just don't feel God anymore. And he called me and I called him and, and he's coming to get me today and I'm leaving. And I just couldn't even imagine. I couldn't imagine anyone who, who had met Jesus choosing to walk away. I, I couldn't imagine someone who had, who had found freedom to go back to their captivity. It was just, I, I didn't even know what to think. And, and, and I remember looking at her, I said, you can't, you, you can't do this. I said, hey, if there's, she goes, I just don't feel God anymore. I just don't feel his love anymore. And I, and I, I looked at her and I said, I, I just know if there's anything that, that, that God could do to prove his love for you, he would do it. Now, I know now what I should have said is, Jesus proved his love for you by dying on the cross. He doesn't need to do anything else to prove his love for you. But, you know, in those moments of crisis and, and when you're brand new in your faith, you don't get it right. You just say what is there. And, and I just said, if there's anything God could do to prove his love for you, he would do it. And in that moment, her response just threw me off. In fact, it's one of the reasons I had such a hard time understanding women. Because she looked at me, she goes, well, then I want it to snow. Where does that come from? Like, where does that get pulled out of nowhere? I, well, then I want it to snow. See, guys wouldn't do that. See, if a guy, if I said, if guy could prove his love for you, he would do it. The guy would go, well, then I want like a, a sports car or, you know, I, I want a promotion at work or I want the, the hot girlfriend. It's very concrete. But this girl, she just picked something so bizarre. Well, then if Jesus really loves me, I want the snow. And there was no chance of snow. We were in North Carolina at the time and there's no precipitation expected. There's no snow coming our way. And, and when she said, well, then I want the snow, it caught me off guard. And, and to this day, I don't know why I said this, but I looked at her and I said, Jesus is going to make it snow. And when I said that, I got really scared. And I said, within 24 hours, I meant to say he would need more than 24 hours, but I got it backwards and I made it even harder on myself. And she said, all right then, and she left. And then I went back to my room and I closed my door, I turned off the lights, I pulled down the shades, I got on my knees, I got on my face. I did like Elijah where your head is in between your legs and I was like, God, 
I don't know why I said that. I, I, was that you? Was that me speaking? What I heard you say, if it wasn't you, God, could you sort of adopt this idea and do this? I, I don't want to pretend it was also clear to me. I was praying out of so much desperation. And what I did know is that she decided to go all over campus and tell people, oh, God's going to make it snow for me because he loves me. God's going to make it snow for me because he loves me. God's going to make it snow for me because he loves me. And I don't know, maybe an hour or so later, I fell asleep, honestly, praying. And my roommate, Mark, came in and he woke me up. And he came in the room and he said, have you been outside? And I said, no. And when he said that, I knew, he knew that I had said this. And he said, yeah, your friend's been all over campus telling people God's going to make it snow for her because he's going to prove he loves her. And my heart was just pounding. And he said, then you should look outside. And I thought you wanted to mock me and humiliate me and just rub it in my face. And I thought, take it like a man. And I walked over to the window and took a breath and pulled up the shade and there was snow everywhere. Everywhere, snow everywhere. Almost from the moment I fell on my knees, the snow began to fall. I'm not trying to explain to you how this happened. I just want you to understand that it did happen. And, you know, in that moment, everything was so clear to me. I knew the whole time, right, that it was going to snow. But I began to pay attention. See, I began to realize that, that if you listen carefully, you're going to hear things that you shouldn't know. And you're going to be able to pray things that, that seem as if you're asking God to do something, but it's actually God asking you to trust him, that he will do it. I remember it was a Sunday, July 8th, 1990, we were in Dallas, Texas, a band, a rap band called Two Live Crew was coming to Dallas. They had been censored in Florida for being obscene. They, they were this incredibly nasty band. I think they had a song like as nasty as they want. And, and it was just a big deal in Dallas. And so we're in this room and Kim says, we should pray against Two Live Crew. And I'm like, that's not really like my style and form as much. And, and they all go, okay, okay, we'll pray. And, and they're all praying like, you know, prayers like, and we just prayed that everything will be okay and that, you know, the event will go well or that people will realize that there's more to life. And then Kim prays, Jesus, I declare that tomorrow you're going to shut down that concert and that Two Life Crew will not be able to perform in Dallas tomorrow night. And amen. And after all the team came up to me, really awkward, going, I feel so bad for Kim. I feel so bad for Kim because tomorrow... Everyone in the room is going to know that God did not answer that prayer. Yet around 1130 on that Sunday night, on July 8th, two life crew wanted their payment up front and the manager didn't have it. And they were told they were not going to get paid up front. They needed to perform. And there was a delay around three hours. And then after three hours, someone jumped on stage, became angry, demanding their money back. Then out of those 500 or so people in that room, 50 of them went violent and started destroying all the furniture in the club and two live crew did not perform. And to this day, because it was the day before Aaron's birthday, to this day, I have to go back and be astonished by the fact that this small woman declared something that everyone else thought she would be humiliated by declaring. And I have to wonder to this day if the fact that Two Life Crew could not perform the next night was connected to the prayers of this small woman named Kim. I wonder what your prayers have caused in the universe of moving heaven and earth. Because you're just like Elijah. You're just like Kim, you're just like me, I'm just like you. We're not different types of spiritual species. See, Elijah was a person just like us, but he prayed. He prayed desperately. He prayed and he spoke 
to the heavens and the heavens obeyed his declaration and it did not rain for three and a half years. And then he listened and he heard the sound of a heavy rain and he knew that the rain was coming. And that seventh time the servant went back, that seventh time when he said, I see a cloud the size of a fist, that's all Elijah needed. He said, now go and tell Ahab, the rain is coming. God is looking for women and men who know why prayer matters. See, why does this matter? It matters because prayer is the intersection between heaven and earth. Prayer is the intersection between God and all of humanity. And when you step in that intersection, you become God's agent of the miraculous. You become God's agent of change. Maybe it's time to pray and watch the future get ushered in through our faith. You may be listening right now and you're like, this is crazy. And I, here's the thing. If you open your life to Jesus, see, if you pray this simple prayer that begins everything, Jesus, I give you my life, I'm telling you. When you pray, Jesus, I give you my life, you are inviting eternity to step into time and space. You're inviting heaven on earth. You're inviting the creator of the universe to come to dwell within you. And that will be the most profound and powerful miracle you will ever usher in through prayer. When you pray to give your life to Jesus, it is the first miracle you will ever be a part of, but it will not be the last. So if you're here right now listening to my voice, then cross the line of faith. Whisper to the one who is near, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. This is the beginning of everything. Why does this matter? Because prayer connects you to God. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic. Your sacrifice makes this podcast possible and creates life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading this message around the world by going to mosaic.org slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.